Well, happy Father's Day. As we begin, I'm going to pray for all the fathers. And myself is included in the fathers. <laughs> Holy Father, we thank you for the blessing, the joy it is to be a father. Thank you for entrusting these little souls to us, Father. But at the same time, it's such a grave responsibility, so important, Father, that we raise them to know you. Help us as fathers to grow in leaders in our homes, leaders at the church. Help us to be faithful fathers to you, those that our children can look up to and see Christ in us. Father, help us to be humble fathers. Help us to be repentant fathers, willing to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness when we need to and walk in the power of your Spirit. Help us to be those type of fathers. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you for today. And it's through Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to jump right in to the text this morning. So we're going to be in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 8. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 8, as we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. Church, this is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. May we listen and follow in reverence as God's word is spoken. And it says this, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, and I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this grace, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the first question that I want to ask is what is this mystery that Paul is referring to in this section? I mean, he mentions mystery three times just in this section alone. And obviously, the mystery is that Christ is Messiah, right? Christ had died for the sins of his people and has reconciled humanity back to God. But also... The mystery entails the fact that salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the world. It's not just for the Israelites any longer. That means every nation, every people group can now be saved through Jesus Christ. Amen to that. And Casey mentioned last week 
that this was shocking. It was a glorious day because the world was lost. We recognize from Casey's passages last week that the Gentiles, it says, were hopeless without Christ. And the world was headed to hell. The Gentiles were headed to hell. But God and Christ changed all that. So now we, that are Gentiles, now have hope in Christ. We sit here at the family church as recipients of God's sovereign grace. We are heirs, adopted children of God, who are now reconciled back to God because of his great love for us and Christ's perfect obedience to the Father. So as we begin this morning, let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we come to you recognizing what a sacrifice you gave on our behalf, and we recognize it was motivated by your love and your son's perfect obedience. Thank you. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be saved. May, uh, may we never grow numb to what you have done for us. May we wake up in the morning recognizing we have salvation regardless of all the struggles that we face. May we be excited that we will be with you for all eternity. We thank you for your love, your grace that you continue to pour down on us. And it's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the theme of this section, as we were just discussing, reveals that God's grace is open to all who turn to Christ through the gospel. But today, I want to hit on a few other applications we can pull from the text from this perspective. So I want to jump back to Ephesians 3, verse 1. So you might want to go back to verse 1. And Paul starts by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. And I want to stop there. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. And you would think that Paul would be referring to the fact that he is under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman praetorium guard. But is this the prison Paul is referring to in the text? Is this the prison? Well, let's look back at verse 1. Paul, prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. <clears throat> Think about Paul's situation, a prisoner to Rome, yet he does not say anything about it. He bypasses the fact that he's sitting under house arrest, and Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. Paul does not complain, he does not play the victim, he does not whine, he does not cry about it. Let me ask us this morning, how would we handle being put in prison wrongfully? If we were innocent and put in prison, how would we handle the situation? Would we handle it like Paul? I mean... If you're like me, I can complain or whine over the smallest of situations. You can ask my wife. For example, I can get in a long line at the store and become easily frustrated when the line isn't moving fast enough. Or I can get easily annoyed when my children are acting up. And yet here, Paul is sitting under house arrest and has nothing negative to say about it. So, 
I ask, what does it mean to truly be a prisoner of Christ? What does it mean to be a prisoner of Christ? Well, I think for us to gain some clarity and understanding about what Paul is saying here, it would be helpful for us to look look back at what it meant to be a prisoner in the first century. And in Rome, to be a prisoner meant you had lost all rights and privileges. The days of living in freedom were over. You were under the authority of the Roman Empire, and as a prisoner in Rome, your life was in their hands. They decided what you would eat, how long you could sleep, what you could say, what you couldn't say. They even had control over if you would live or die. Often, Roman prisoners participated in the games. And I'm not talking about Monopoly or cards. We're talking about the games that were held in the Roman Colosseum. This is where prisoners would have to fight one another to the death. Or try to wrestle hungry lions and tigers with their hands as they were being eaten alive. Or battle the elite Roman soldiers for survival. All for the enjoyment of the Roman culture of the day. The point is prisoners were property of Rome. And Paul calls himself a property of Christ. But also in Romans 1.1, Paul refers to himself as a slave for Christ. Why don't we turn to Romans 1.1 and we will look at that passage as well. Romans 1, 1, God's holy word says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The word for servant here comes from the Greek word doulos, which actually translated correctly is slave. For, so the accurate translation here should be Paul, a slave to Christ Jesus. Paul consistently described himself as a prisoner, prisoner or a slave to Christ. That meant that Paul gave up all rights to be in submission to Christ Jesus Paul gave up his wants, his expectations, his desires, his ambitions, his agendas to live for Christ. And you may be thinking at this point, wow, that sounds really hard. And I'm glad I do not have to give up all my rights to submit my life to Christ like Paul did. As The American Christian world says Christ wants to fulfill my dreams, my desires, my goals, my wants, my ambitions. I mean, this perspective has Christ serving me as I am God and Christ is my servant and slave. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 and 35, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Christ says here that we will have to die in order to live. That's what it means to be submitted to Christ Jesus. 
Christ must be our first and foremost love and passion and zeal in our lives. Point number one says a slave submits to the master daily. Point number one says a slave submits to the master daily. When asked, are you a child of God? We often talk about when we walked down the altar or said a sinner's prayer for salvation or got baptized. But I'm wondering how we are walking with Christ in the present at this moment. A child of God lives for Christ today. We are passionate about Christ in our lives daily now. Paul says to live is Christ. Paul didn't say, I did live, or I used to live, or I want to live. No, Paul said, I live for Christ. This affects the way we think and act. Christ is at the forefront of our minds as we make decisions, as we go to work, as we lead our families, as we love our spouses. Christ is Lord over it all, church. Christ is is Lord over our marriage? Are we honoring our spouse? If my wife speaks harshly to me, I'm called to love her like Christ. If if I speak harshly to my wife, she is called to respect me like Christ. We are not our own. We are bought at a very costly price. We have given up all our rights to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. Teenagers, is Christ the Lord of your life? You are called to obey and honor your parents even when you don't feel like it or want to. How you obey your parents reveals how much you're obeying Christ. Family church, is Christ our Lord? Is Christ our Lord? I don't want to be like the rest of the churches in America. I want to follow the Bible. That means we are called to love one another above ourselves. That means we actually make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Let me ask if anybody remembers the book Purpose Driven Life. Let me see a show of hands of those who know the book Purpose Driven Life. Right? Most of us have even read the book. Why was it the most popular book outside the Bible ever written? What made this book so popular? And usually this is when the preacher says, because everybody wants to find their purpose, right? That's why everybody is desperate to find purpose. God's purpose. But is that really the case? Do people want to really find their God-given purpose? Or is this just something we've bought into because we hear a lot of Christian people saying it? I mean, many of us say, why, why would we not, right? Well, what if your purpose led to struggle, suffering, strife, sorrow, pain, agony, and even death? Many of us may say, wait a minute here. This isn't the purpose I've learned about. That isn't the purpose that my pastor has preached from the pulpit, The purpose I heard about leads to personal happiness. I I want purpose that makes my life easier. I want purpose that makes me feel good. I want purpose that gives me importance. I want purpose that gives me significance. I want purpose that makes my life better. And I would say, I understand what you're saying, 
But we have to look at purpose from a biblical standpoint. We have to measure, define, look at what purpose means from a biblical perspective. So what does Scripture say about purpose? Well, let's go back to our main text. And we're in now Ephesians 3, verses 7 and 8. Ephesians 3, verses 7 and 8, where we'll learn more about purpose. Paul the Apostle says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's purpose is specifically stated that he was a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, right? To the non-Jewish people. Do we realize what transformation had to take place in Paul's life to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles? I mean, think about it. it. Before Paul met Christ, he was a Jewish leader trained by the best. Paul says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was young, well-educated, already a Pharisee that was highly regarded, highly esteemed. And then he met Christ. And his world was rocked. It was flipped upside down. In the eyes of the Jewish people, Paul was a hero, but he became a zero, right? A zero. Where Paul went from being the great religious leader, highly respected and honored, to a false teacher, pathetic, misfit, Gentile supporter who worshipped a dead guy named Jesus. Can you imagine the transformation that took place in Paul's life? Can you imagine the pride, the confidence, the dependence on self Paul had and was controlled by before he met Christ? He was important in the Jewish culture. He was special. He was liked. He was, had a bright future. He was a rising star. He was the man in, in their day. Then he met Christ. Paul's life changed dramatically. He describes himself and others like him as fools for Christ. Paul become, became a fool in the world's eyes. He lost friends. He, his pride, his ego, the, light, the self, he was, was being destroyed as he became a spectacle to the world. His own people thought he probably had lost his mind. But it gets worse. It doesn't stop there because his God-given purpose led him not only to be persecuted by his own people, but he also was persecuted by the Romans. So he didn't have a lot of friends. And finally, he was killed for his purpose, his love for Christ. Philippians 3.8 describes Paul's life perfectly. It says this, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Point number two, God's purpose for us 
brings hardship. Point number two says God's purpose for us brings hardship. I wonder if this was the preaching on purpose people are hearing about it, if it would be so popular. If people would love it so much. God's purpose is to transform us. This is the process. This process isn't easy, nor is it comfortable. Why is God's purpose hard for us is a question. Well, I would say it's the same reason why our marriages are hard at times. Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, says this about marriage. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And I know, I know, we all got married because we knew our spouse would make us more holy. We thought, I want to be more like Christ, so I'm going to get married so God can deal with all the junk in me with this other person. Right? Amen? Is that why we got married? No. No. Most of us got married because we felt more fulfilled, happier, satisfied. We thought we were all really benefiting from the deal. That's why we got married. And similarly, we want purpose if it benefits us, when it seems to make our life better. We don't like purpose or marriage when we have to deal with struggle. Even good struggles, that makes us grow in the Lord. But I will tell you this, church, the reality of it is, God designed all of life to make us holy more than happy. God designed all of life to make us holy more than happy. That means God designed everything we go through and the purposes that we face to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We need to change, and God's purpose is part of that transformation. God's purposes will stretch us, and we will want to say to God, okay, God, you know, I think uh, my leg's sort of going out of socket, and my arm is about ready to be pulled off. Let's just chill out for a little bit, and God will say, you're all right. Depend on me more. You can do mighty things in the power of the Spirit. Think about it. I'm up here preaching. Many of you know that before a year and a half ago, I had a horrible fear of public speaking. I had avoided public speaking for 20 years of my life. And then God decided to turn my world upside down. God put Casey and myself or God encouraged Casey and myself. And I don't know, encouraged probably isn't a, the right word. Maybe the word forced is a better word. To preach, to serve, and to lead the church. And honestly, it is by the act and will of God that I am up here preaching. God's purpose for our life is hard. It is a struggle, but we grow in the process. Amen? As Paul faced a change in career, rejected by his people, loss of finances, hated by many, beaten, mocked, and finally killed. But what did he gain by following God's purposes? 
Paul gained everything. Paul gained everything. He was reconciled back to God. Instead of going to hell, Paul is now going to spend eternity with God, reconciled to Christ Jesus. His sins were forgiven. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he used up his life to be an instrument of grace for God. When we walk in our God-given purpose, we grow in the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's turn to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. God's holy, inerrant, infallible word says, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Point number three says God's purpose grows us in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God's purpose grows us in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What would our life look like if we were consistently growing in the fruit of the Spirit? How would we look if we had more joy this morning? What would our marriages look like if we had more love for one another? How would we look like individually if we had more peace or self-control? What would our churches look like if there was more faithfulness to God's Word? I mean, this is what we receive when we walk in the purposes of God that he has in store for us. We end up being controlled by the Holy Spirit instead of being in bondage to our circumstances, our emotions, our problems, our sufferings. Just moving up a few verses in Galatians 5, move up to verse 16, it says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The more we walk by the Holy Spirit, the less we are drowning in the flesh or the sinful nature. The sinful nature produces weeds in our hearts like anger, fear, worry, depression, jealousy, unforgiveness, hatred, divisions, pride, lust, self-love, idolatry, selfishness, etc., The weeds of the flesh grow, develop, mature when we walk in our own purposes instead of God's. How would our lives look if we walked in God's purposes and faced our sinful fear, our sinful anger, our sinful pride, our sinful selfishness, our sinful self-love, our sinful lust, and our depression? What would our lives look like? Paul had to let go of his reputation, his popularity, his love for self, his pride, his anger, his rage, his very life to walk in God's purposes. And in return, God gave him everything. In conclusion, salvation is now open to all 
we all can be saved. The gospel is a free gift, and it calls us to die to ourselves and receive God's saving grace grace through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us have truly submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ this morning. Do we have purpose in Christ? Are we walking in those purposes? I wonder how many of us are truly walking in them. If I could sit down with you and ask you, what purpose are you fulfilling for God's glory? What would you say? What purposes are you fulfilling this morning for God's glory? Paul walked in obedience and God gave him purpose. Purpose always follows obedience to Christ. That's the way we have purpose. Well, as we end, I'm going to lead us in a final prayer and then we'll partake in communion. So let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for how graceful you are to people like us, Father. We recognize we struggle with sin. We're flaky. We often do things that are totally out of your character, Father, but help grow us in your spirit. Help us to grow in humility and love for one another and ultimately love for you. Father, we recognize that we have an addiction for turning everything inward, making everything about us instead of about you. The purposes you want to give us, we try to turn that in and make it for selfish reasons. We get married because we want to make our lives better. Help us to be people that are doing what we're doing for your glory and your glory alone. It's through Christ's name I pray. Amen.